Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Happy offseason, everybody. The NASCAR season is over. Make sure to keep in tune with your favorite sports. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today for Bet Online and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and it's where the game starts. So as noted, the offseason now for NASCAR, the season has concluded. And I want to start with something that you noted on before we went off the air last week uh, about the Xfinity Series Championship. You said how fitting it would be. Our picks were Austin Sindrick, but you said how fitting it would be for Daniel Hemrick to get his first career win and that be the championship. And he did exactly that. It was a wild race, a wild finish, and a cap off to what was really just an incredible Xfinity Series season. But Daniel Hemrick, the champion, I mean, who saw that? I guess I did. Uh, in the back of my head, but I, but I did pick Austin Cedric and, uh, in fairness, he led, uh, basically all the way up until about a hundred feet before the line. So, um, tremendous season from him, uh, tremendous season from Daniel Hemmerich, who has always been very consistent, consistent getting top fives, getting top tens, um, but really got it done, uh, there with everything on the line. And, uh, I saw a little bit of pushback from the move that he made, because obviously he moved Austin a little bit as they were coming through the final corner there. Uh, To me, I felt like that was handled about as well as you could possibly do it. I tried to get to his inside, barely put the bumper on him at all. It was just enough to to get beside him. And at that point, you're both, uh, you know, gritting and gouging, trying to get to the line first. And, And I thought it was a tremendous finish. Uh, great racing by by two great drivers. Yeah, exactly. And the way that Austin Sindrick handled it after uh, as well. I mean, he knew probably what was coming going to the corner. And uh, what happened is what happened. He knows he's moving on to the Cup Series next year to drive the two car. But overall, I mean, a great uh, Xfinity Series career. I'm sure we'll see Austin Sindrick down in the Xfinity Series uh, from time to time in the future. Uh, but a great Xfinity Series career for Austin Sindrick and for Daniel Hamrick. Wins the championship for Joe Gibbs Racing, the number 18, moves over to Colleg Racing. He's immediately starting 2022 with a brand new organization, uh, Colleg Racing, driving the 11 next season. And I look at this as, you know, obviously he probably saw this move as a better move for his future and maybe what Colleg Racing is doing, you know, in the Cup Series. And maybe he sees himself being able to get you know, a, a cup series ride. I'm sure even after this championship with Joe Gibbs racing, I'm sure he still envisions that for himself, maybe a better, a better way back to the cup series with college racing and Chevrolet. Yeah. And I think that might be the path, right. Yeah, especially with calling going to the cup series this year, Almond Digger running a partial schedule uh, with them uh, as well uh, with, with a second car that seems like it's going to be a little bit of an open car. Um, and Justin Haley, obviously running full time with them. I think that path is there, right. We, we have seen colleague, continually grow every time every year uh it was one car then two cars then three cars 
then three cars and a cup car, then three cars and a uh, cup car part-time. And now it's three cars and a cup car full-time with another car part-time in the cup series. So they've continually added, I'm sure Hemrick is looking at that going, okay, this is an organization that is consistently growing. I'm going to get in the pipeline here with them and Chevrolet. And maybe that's going to be my ticket back. Yeah. And so Daniel Hemrick can have a new home next year, even though he is the champion and we'll switch gears here to the cup series champion, which was Kyle Larson, which we all think was probably pretty fitting. The right guy uh, ended up winning the race. The contenders, you know, we're all, you know, could be rightful champions. Uh, they've all had great seasons, but Kyle Larson has put on a dominating performance at all sorts of racetracks, road courses, short tracks, mile and a half, you name it. Kyle Larson has uh, been the car that has been up front in the majority of these races and he gets it done. Wins the championship just holds off uh, Martin Truex Jr. There in the end. And I'm sure we all, you know, believe that this is the fitting champion and it's just a great season for Kyle Larson. It's, it's potentially the greatest season that anyone has ever had. It's at least in the conversation. I mean, I think when you look at uh, great seasons in NASCAR history, Jeff Gordon won in 13, uh, races in the championship that's that's got to be up there in the, in the mentions but in this era of competition that we have in the nascar cup series for one guy to win 10 times in the championship different types of tracks road courses short track intermediate uh there at the end of the year here gets it done at phoenix just a tremendous uh, amount of speed out of those Hendrick cars all year of which now you take the guy that I will place up against anybody in any discipline, formula one, dirt cars, uh, Indy car, uh, legends cars. You want to get a bando race going, uh, a soapbox derby. I'm, I'm taking Carl Larson in just about anything that you want to put him in. Uh, I think the guy gets it done. Uh, I think he's probably the greatest race car driver in the world right now. And now he's the champion of our sport. Um, and it's a culmination of a season of dominance. Yeah. And I think that's why everybody leaves Phoenix feeling pretty satisfied with that. Also to that point here, let's think about kind of what that does for NASCAR moving forward. This idea of a young star being the champion, right? Not one of the older veterans, not a guy that's been in for a while, but Kyle Larson, who's still kind of at the beginning point of his career. And now you have Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson back-to-back, kind of this next generation of NASCAR stars who both have championships under their belt. And I think this is kind of the momentum that NASCAR is rooting for as they go into this era with the next-gen car. Yeah, and you mentioned the... Uh, you know, today's in today's NASCAR where, you know, your buffer that you create, like Kyle Larson's dominance, the first half of the season, winning the regular season championship, that doesn't matter for the rest of the year. It doesn't even matter what he did in the first 35 races. You still have to get it done in the final race. And for him to do what he did at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, you know, the, the second to last round of the playoffs, winning two of the three and then going to the championship race and winning that final race. It's just incredible how, you know, cause it's hard. It is hard to, you know, ease your way to a championship in, in today's era. And Kevin Harvick noted on it last year, and and I'm sure many others have as well. You got to take it in the playoffs. You got to take it three races at a time. It's winning you're in, lots of competition, especially in today's racing as well. When we talk about different packages that we're running, different ways we're running the races, it's so hard to, to manage a consistent season. And it also speaks volumes for a guy like Denny Hamlin to do what he did, I believe, was – 
35 points back if it was a full season standings, only 35 points behind Kyle Larson uh, with eight less wins. And it speaks volumes to what he was able to do and what we were just talking about at the beginning of the show, Daniel Hemrick, staying consistent. Didn't win all year until the final race, but he was able to stay so consistent there towards the end. Uh, and you can kind of say the same about our truck champion, Ben Rhodes, as well, because he won the first two races of the season, but was able to be so consistent from then. Didn't win any more races, but was so consistent, ends up winning the championship. So consistency seemed to pay off in a way this year. And organizational consistency and really dominance by Hendrick Motorsports. If you look at the resume for them, you know, this is obviously the exclamation point here at the end of the year, but Kyle Larson, 10 wins. Alex Bowman, the hack, four wins. Uh, Chase Elliott, two wins, I believe it was two? Yes. Three. Okay, so two wins for uh, Elliott. And also, I think the 24 car won once. Is that right? It was once or twice, and I'm trying to remember here. Yeah, we got to get the stat people on this, right? But I believe yeah. it was still one win for, for William Byron. So you're still looking at, even if Byron didn't get one or he did get one, 16 or 17 wins out of an organization out of 38 events. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is dominance up there. You're basically saying they're winning half of the races. So yeah. that, and, and in the regular season, now we're talking 36 events, it is basically half the races. So just a tremendous year for Hendrick Motorsports. Remember a couple of years ago, we were having this discussion like, oh man, Hendrick, little down. They're behind Penske. They're behind Gibbs. What are they going to do? Never, never count out Hendrick Motorsports. This is this is the team that with the most wins in the history of NASCAR. And now they are on a roll and they have the best drivers in the sport under their banner, the last two champions of our series. And they are primed with a young lineup with a lot of wins already, a lot of success already. And what does that organization look like moving forward? Where I think when you're Stuart Haas racing, they kind of hit an identity crisis of kind of youth and a little bit of experience. They're trying to do that slowly. Hendrick kind of went all in on it a couple of years ago. Big time youth movement. Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, William Byron. Like we're going young. And now here we are a couple of years down the road. We're kind of seeing the fruits of that. Uh, Obviously bringing in. Kyle Larson is able to help. You get that guy coming in as a free agent kind of off the bench. Uh, what an addition. But kind of the core of that with those three were already there. That level of consistency allowed them to bring in a, uh, a guy like Kyle Larson. He fit in pretty seamlessly. They kind of already had all that established uh, under Jimmy Johnson as well. He moves on to something else. Here you get uh, one hell of a replacement, a guy that I think all of us see becoming a multi-time uh, sprint, uh NASCAR Cup Series champion. Oh, for sure. And we saw what we saw with Hendrick was the transition phase, you know, out of the the old group of drivers. We had Jeff Gordon goes out in comes Chase Elliott, Dale, Dale Earnhardt Jr. retires and comes Alex Bowman. William Byron comes up as well with Casey Kane heading out and then Jimmy Johnson heading out and Kyle Larson coming in to, to run for that team. And we, we saw the transition phase. People questioned it. People questioned what drivers they were bringing in. Uh, even though William Byron won an Xfinity Series championship, Chase Elliott won an Xfinity Series championship. We've seen what Alex Bowman was able to do in good equipment when he was just filling in for Hendrick Motorsports. So we saw the transition phase when they're bringing in all these young drivers. Didn't start out maybe as pretty as they imagined, but I'm sure 
Obviously, they trusted the process because here we are. They have back-to-back champions. William Byron, although he didn't you know, advance as far as he probably wanted to in the playoffs, he was one of the most consistent drivers this season. I think he was the guy that had uh, broke Jeff Gordon's streak for most top 10s uh, towards the middle of the season. And when he was eliminated from the playoffs, was running very well. And we've seen, and Alex Bowman won four races. So you look at the guys that haven't been champions, but they have very bright futures ahead of them and have the capabilities to do that. But the question is now is with the next gen car, maybe a lot of people, you know, it's like resetting the playing field, which team is going to take off the fastest. We know Hendrick motorsports obviously going to have the most momentum. They have the two most recent champions and they have Kyle Larson, but which team is going to take off first, you know, it would be more of the veterans veterans at Joe Gibbs, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, Truex, the youth at Hendrick. We know those, the two teams kind of battling. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, to me, the reason that I expect Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet to still stay towards the front of the field consistently here, let's look under the hood. I mean, if we're saying that these cars are going to be equal or more equal than they've ever been in the next few years with this next gen car, the differentiator is going to be that power plant underneath the hood of these cars. And right now, ECR engines, which partnered under Chevrolet's guidance, ECR and the Hendrick Motor Department kind of started sharing a lot more information and kind of became the Chevy Motor Department kind of together, even though they are still operating separately. Basically, Chevrolet said, this is, no, we don't, we don't want two motor programs We really want one motor program. And if you think about it, from that moment in the fall of last year, people say the switch flipped for Chase Elliott. Uh, Well, that's because the ignition switch on his car was firing up an ECR engine, which was the best Chevrolet engine there was. And now Hendrick has had the benefit of that over these last couple of years. Think about a 550 horsepower package. So now we're saying that every horsepower is actually worth more The more we restrict the horsepower, the more each one of them matters. And they got the best power plant sitting under the hood of that car. And if you look at the dominance that has been shown by Hendrick Motorsports, which the handling package was there, and now it's powered by ECR engines, uh, we we also see what Tyler Reddick has been able to do. And, And kind of making his presence known in this series as an elite driver, as an RCR kind of resurgence here. Well, to me, that's led by the engine department that they put together over there at ECR Engines. It's one of the reasons that Martins Motorsports, my team, partnered with them uh, through the middle of this past year and, and wanted to go more in that direction. I was like, man, I'll even take, I'll take your old stuff. Your old stuff is probably still awesome <laughs> because they are just flat out getting it done over there. And so when we start looking at this next gen car, Think about who's making the power right now. Probably got to still stick with that Chevrolet banner is the ones that are making the peak horsepower. You give Kyle Larson, I don't care if it's the same car or not. You give him a car that's got more power. I'm still picking Kyle Larson to, to come out on top. Now, Ford, Toyota, they know this. It's not like they're just sitting around all winter licking their wounds. They're going to be aggressively trying to do more under the hood because I think everybody knows this is where we're going to probably wind up winning the race uh, in the next few years. Yeah, we can talk about Chevy Chevy teams for a second. Chevy obviously has been coming along, like you said, with ECR and all that stuff. But one of the Chevy teams that's going to go away uh, that had their last race at Phoenix is Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, ending a long tenure in NASCAR, great tenure, a lot of great wins, Daytona 500s, Brickyard 400s. 
Um, Ross Chastain, Kurt Busch were the drivers at Phoenix. We know we're, both of them will go. Ross Chastain goes to Trackhouse. Kurt Busch goes to 2311. But we won't have uh, – we will have the one car next year, but not the famous uh, 42 for Chip Ganassi. So a great – I think great tenure in NASCAR. We know what Chip's going to do in IndyCar. We know that Jimmy Johnson's going to have, you know, I think an even bigger role with them next year, running the uh, Indy 500 as well. Um, so overall, I think we saw, we said a, f- a lot of goodbyes this week. We said a lot of goodbyes to the gen six, five lug nuts for the cup series. Uh, we, we also said, uh, goodbye to Chip Ganassi. What do you, what do you think, um, is the most memorable, memorable goodbye that we said, uh, this week in the Phoenix. Oof. I mean, Chip Ganassi has been in NASCAR for a really long time now. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a strange transition to go away from Chip Ganassi, but I think Chip, was pretty ready to move on, right? Uh, and all the quotes that he talked about with Justin Marks. And I think Justin Marks is going to be, to me, the leading young owner in our series uh, as a whole. Um, Justin Marks with what he's been able to do with Trackhouse. And I, I wish him uh, all the best there uh, as they move forward with with two talented drivers, uh, two young, talented drivers, kind of young veterans which yeah. is what I always love. That's one of my favorite things to get uh, in sports is give me a young guy who's really hungry, but also has a little bit of experience. Uh, and you're getting that in Ross Chastain and you're getting that in Daniel Suarez. So uh, they got two people to build around uh, there with that organization. So I would probably say the car, right? We're, we are moving into an era now. Um, every time this car changes over, that is a really big deal in our sport. Um, so saying goodbye uh, to the Gen 6 car, which really delivered everything that we wanted it to deliver from a racing package standpoint, right? We always see all the people on Twitter and on Instagram kind of pining over the 2014 season and, and that Gen 6 uh, body that was thrown on these, uh, on these new cars, uh, on these new chassis that we just couldn't get the way we wanted to. Um, and it all started slowly coming together. Uh, and really, if you think about the package that we had in the Cup Series uh, with the 750 package, high horsepower, lower downforce on these cars, um, some of the changes that were made over the lifespan of the cars. Um, I mean, I'm going to miss those cars. I'm going to miss the ingenuity uh, that came around with some of the crews and, and kind of making those cars better. It's always funny that I hear Cup crew chiefs talk about the idea that, like, if you took a car from two years ago, it, it looks like a car that like, there's no way that car could even qualify for a race now. Right. Which is funny that on my team, we race cars that were their cars from two or three years ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we generally are racing every week, but regardless um, that level of ingenuity and consistently improving um, that's kind of what we've always done in our sport. And now we're going to a, a completely different era, an era that I am admittedly very skeptical of, an era that is supposed to level a playing field and eventually reduce cost. But naturally, I just immediately think of all the teams that are already reducing costs to as low as they can. And now we are going to have a car that is going to be tremendously more expensive to operate uh, for a smaller team anyway, right? For a bigger team, they can now cut a lot of overhead. So I think that's another part of this, right? We're talking about basically Black Monday, uh, in the, uh, in the NASCAR world, how many people are going to lose their jobs over the next month and a half through the winter 
as the teams kind of figure out what they really need to have from a chassis department, from a body department, from parts department and, and creating parts for these cars. What are they doing? Um, what does it look like uh, moving forward? So I think it's saying goodbye to this car. It's probably saying goodbye to an era of NASCAR of indulgence in a way, right? Consistently growing bigger, faster, better. And now we're cutting that off. We're saying that's not what we want anymore. We want a car that is a level playing field, which in theory, to me, sounds like a good idea. Um, but the way that we're going about it, uh, I've said my piece about it. And I think we're naturally, as NASCAR fans, going to be a little nostalgic uh, for this Gen 6 car as we had gotten so accustomed to it the last few years. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a big change. One of the biggest, I mean, we've been un undergoing a lot of change in the sport recently for sure, but it's going to be uh, a huge change going from this car to the next. So many changes, you know, just as far as you drive the car, how you build the car, what the car is going to cost. There's going to be so much uh, that changes. And a lot of the the drivers and the teams are changing as well. We mentioned silly season last week. It's going to just starting to get kicked up. Uh, into gear and there was a question around what front row motorsports would do going into next year were they going to sell one charter were they going to sell all their charters the whole team uh, we didn't know there were some discussions going on but they clarified today that they will run two teams next year and one of them will be the Daytona 500 champion Michael McDowell um, and the other one will not be Anthony Alfredo uh, he will not return to the team in the 38. They will be searching for another driver, likely maybe looking for some funding, uh, more funding, something like that. Um, but overall for Anthony Alfredo, you know, we've talked about this on the show uh, numerous times about, you know, kind of how Anthony Alfredo has been. And I think you can even compare it to what John Hunter Nemechek went through last year in the 38 car. I feel like two young guys that hadn't, you know, Anthony Alfredo had a lot less experience than, you know, John Hunter in the lower series, but maybe two guys that kind of took that opportunity to jump up, maybe a little too quick, or maybe it wasn't the right opportunity for them. You know, Anthony Alfredo hadn't run a full season trucks Xfinity. We know he's talented. We saw what he could do in the Xfinity series when he got his starts in the 21 had speed ran up front uh, in the majority of those races. And, you know, just, had a rough season in the cup series. Same thing with John Hunter. John Hunter had a rough year in the cup series last year. People probably, if they would have just seen him for the first time, they probably wouldn't have thought much of him. And he goes down to the truck series and probably had a, probably the most dominant truck there all year. Didn't win the championship, unfortunately, but he dominated most of the year it was always up there. Um, so I think, you know, for Anthony Alfredo, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of options for him to go to. And I think this might be best for him too. Maybe if there's an option in the Xfinity series, maybe kind of make a deal like Myatt Snyder did, you know, going to the to 31 car in Xfinity trucks, who knows? But I think good news for front row that they're staying. Glad they're staying in the cup series. Glad they clarified that. And I'm glad they're retaining uh, Michael McDowell as well. Cause I really feel like this next gen car, like this is, this fits Michael McDowell in my opinion. Yeah. And really the schedule fits Michael McDowell. Oh, yeah. Road courses and speedways. I mean, that's going to make up now, especially if you want to think about Atlanta and new Atlanta as yep. kind of a, eh, is it going to be a speedway race? We're not sure yet. That's, that's what they want it to be. That's what they <laughs> want it to be. Yeah. So now do we have six speedway races? Okay. Well, you get six road courses. Well, that's a third of the year it is now kind of a wild card. And you got to believe in Michael McDowell's talent on a road course. I believe there has to be some level of that in organizations now. Um, having that road course ringer 
that can do some other stuff for us. And Michael McDowell kind of fits the bill there. He's been such a stalwart in the top 20 of the driver standings over the last few years. The guy just gets it done. Uh, He is, to me, one of the more overlooked people in NASCAR alongside Chris Buescher, who has just consistently forgotten how good he is uh, over and over again. Um, These are definitely uh, top-level guys. And so now we got to start looking at front row and go, all right, who's the person that's going to fill that seat? Is front row going to go out and go, we're going to hire the best driver available? Is that Matt Benedetto, who has been in the news for a lot of reasons lately? Is that Ryan Newman? Is that somebody else? And really, for Anthony Alfredo, where do you go? RCR seems full to me. They have their two cars, and, and that kind of seems like they're 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 good with that. They're not really trying to add a third. I think about that conversation, or excuse me, that relationship that Anthony has with RCR, formerly racing there in the Xfinity Series in the 21 car. Um, Colic has not announced what they are doing with their third car, the 10 car. Is that the landing spot for him? But now we've also heard it's somebody from the truck series that's moving up. That's kind of been the rumor. It's like, okay, well, that seat's closed. So now where were you going? I mean, if you have funding behind you, there's always doors that will open. But at the same time, right now, when it comes to premier rides at the second level, if you're going to go back down to Xfinity, those seats at the front of the field are filling up really, really quick. So does he want to stay in the Cup Series? Is there an opportunity to stay in the Cup Series? I think Anthony probably wants to stay there. But now, where is he going? And I guess my my follow-up here is, who is front row getting for the second seat? And I think the choice that they pick here, RJ, is going to say a lot about what they want their organization to be, right? Are, Are they trying to get the best driver available? Are they trying to find a young driver that's got funding? What does it look like? Um, Or is this a situation where, if you look at it, Todd Gilliland down there in trucks, to me, really the second half of the year was the best truck in the field. It was between him and John Hunter Nemechek. Todd Gilliland showed a lot this year. And I think he's kind of always been penciled in at front row, like, Really, you're the guy that we're trying to get up here with that relationship with his dad, David Gilliland, DGR, the truck series team. They were able to kind of like halfway partner up with down there. Um, To me, Todd Gilliland is probably the one that I would keep my eye on. If they're going to go young, I think that's where they go. Or do they just go straight free agency? We're going to get the best guy we can get. Yeah, they're they're always going to, you know, funding is always going to play a factor in these decisions. And you got to also think, you know, did they maybe take a little less funding for, you know, did they take a little hit to retain Michael McDowell? Like, could they have gotten someone with more funding, but wanted to retain Michael McDowell? How much funding does Michael McDowell have? Cause that's always every single year. It's always been, you know, Michael McDowell's ended up staying with front row, but it's always been uh, brought up into the conversation. Now, Michael McDowell is, you know, if I can get enough funding, yeah, I'll be back. And then it's kind of announced like in the middle of the off season that he'll be back and stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, always, yeah. Uh, they're, they're always they're so hesitant to commit yeah. to, each other exactly and it's like to me i've always heard with negotiations a good negotiation is when neither person is happy and that to me seems like michael mcdowell 
and Front Row Motorsports. Front Row Motorsports goes, man, we could probably get somebody better than Michael McDowell. And Michael McDowell thinks, you know, I could probably get on a better team than Front Row Motorsports. And yet they seem to be a pretty good fit time and time again when it comes to overachieving for one of those mid-level teams. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see what they do with that second car. We know the drivers that are out there available. Which ones have the funding? Is it Todd Gilland? I mean, you know, once they brought made a truck team for Todd Gilland, it seemed like that was pretty much penciled in. Like you said, Todd Gilland will probably end up uh, with, you know, front row motorsports in the cup series sometime in the future, whether it's next year or after that, because he did really good in the truck series this year. You mentioned second half. I mean, he, that team was on fire crazy that they got eliminated so early uh, from the playoffs. You know, we had him, we had him in our final four, both of us did. So it was crazy to see, but even after he got eliminated, still had speed. He was leading Phoenix lead Martinsville. Um, I think right. he won. Yeah. I think he, what did he win the poll for Phoenix or was he fastest in practice or something like that? Um, but yeah, a lot of drivers out there to pick from uh, Ryan Newman stated in his, you know, pre-race interview and in his stated time and time again, that he doesn't want to retire. It's not what he wants. Obviously he's probably at this point going to have to be forced to retire, but he's still looking for a ride. Still wants to race in the NASCAR cup series. Um, me as a fan just wants him to get in a mid-level Xfinity car and show us all what he's got one final time. I just want that to happen, but I know, I don't know if it will. Um, but I know he wants to still be in the cup series is the 38 an option. How much funding is he bringing as well? Cause we know he had, you know, how much of that was Roush? How much is Roush going to keep? You know, obviously he's a Coca-Cola guy. Uh, is Coca-Cola staying with him? How much funding does he have as far as like Kohler's, all the other sponsors he was able to bring? I don't know. That's all unknown. Um, but it will be interesting to see who they put in that car. And interesting how, you know, front row kind of takes uh, the next gen uh, entrance as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ryan Newman and Benedetto to me are, are two examples here of unfortunately the main thing that we're dealing with when it comes to the silly season which is money we're dealing with money where, where can you find money do you have do you have money at all what teams have sponsors that are team sponsors that are now just looking for a driver that doesn't happen very often anymore guys like and girls it doesn't really happen most of the time sponsors are paired with a driver they go this is who we're branding with This is who we're building our NASCAR presence around. And that driver then really has the power over the team. Whereas in Formula One, the teams generally have the power over the drivers. And I think we see which one works better uh, in the overall popularity of a sport. No offense. Drivers shouldn't have power. The teams should have the power in this. But we don't operate under that dynamic anymore. So now here we have two drivers that don't have sponsorship, or at least it doesn't seem like a significant amount of sponsorship to be able to dictate terms to a team. And now you're seeing really what the market is. How many teams actually have sponsors lined up and they're just looking for a driver? The answer is just not going to be very many. So where are the landing spots? Now, I would sit here and say that it has never been more important in NASCAR history to have a good driver in your car. Right now, if we're talking about leveling the playing field of the cars, uh, well, then what's going to be a big differentiator? Probably the person holding the steering wheel. So I think there's not, we are basically running out of places for you to hide if you are not a very good race car driver trying to make it at the top three levels of our sport. Qualifying will be coming back. 
in Xfinity, we, we're hearing rumors now there could be 48 to 50 cars showing up every week trying to qualify for these races. We're talking about an expansion of the field. So if there's 50 cars showing up every week, I don't care where you're at in points. You are not safe. You are not safe. And so if you are putting bad drivers in your car week in and week out, it doesn't matter how good your car is. When they got to lay down a lap, it's going to matter. And honestly, I can't remember a better qualifier in my life as a race fan than Ryan Newman. <laughs> We're talking about a guy that literally got nicknamed Rocket Man for how good the guy was at qualifying race cars. So I would believe that that guy is going to always have a job. And at the same time, as a realist with the finances of this sport, I worry that he won't. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. You mentioned qualifying. I was just looking up, uh, remembering that, you know, Landon Castle got bumped out, out of the race this weekend in qualifying. Like who, right. who would have expected that? Landon Castle, Timmy Hill. I mean, the field is so deep. And this was like the first, you know, Xfinity qualifying in a while that wasn't like a road course or, you know, some other gimmick like that. It was just a straight up classic uh qualifying day at phoenix and that's how deep the field was 42 cars and we talked about it before the show landon castle gets bumped out of the race timmy hill gets bumped out of the race i mean and i imagine i mean well we know we know it's going to be much deeper next year for xfinity we'll see how many cars keep attend you know attempting in the cup series uh, i'm not sure what like the list is right now of like confirmed seems like entries. you're gonna have several open teams showing yep. up for these races we're probably gonna be sending people home from these races uh, even with the next gen car so I still am holding out hope here, RJ, that good drivers are going to always have a place to go. Yeah. If we keep making the series to where the driver matters a lot, well, then you're going to keep making sure that good drivers always have a car to race in. Yeah, that's the thing. We want to make sure that the driver, you know, that we're putting in the car matters and can make a difference. We know that you know, we know that's the case in the Xfinity series. We'll see what happens with this next gen car. Um, but you know, we also have to think, you know, open cars, whoever enters, enters, they qualify themselves in the race. That's on them. Uh, but we know the charters cars have a guaranteed spot in the race and the 38 car will be a chartered car next season. It'll be open. They'll get to pick whoever, I guess they feel is the right fit money financially wise driver wise, uh, who they're going to go after and get. So it'll be really interesting to see. That's really the only, uh, chartered car besides, you know, we, we know Rick Ware racing still, you know, figuring out what they're going to do for next season. Uh, their 51 made it in, uh, to the top 33 and owners points there. It came down to the wire, uh, all four Rick Ware race. They were separated by, I think it was 16 points, all four of them, the owners points, uh, the 51, the petty Ware car made it in the top 33 of the charter. So what that means is they don't get to get it stripped by NASCAR um, or at least reviewed is what they say in the rule book uh, for taking away for finishing uh, in the bottom 33, three years in a row. So they made it. They did it. Good job to Rick Ware. They still have four charters for next year. We know they're probably going to sell at least one or two, maybe still. Yeah, seeing and, they've what they're said, they, and they've said that they yeah. plan on being a part team next year. Right. That's yeah. what they're planning on. And I would expect, even though we've seen some news floated about Garrett Smithley potentially going to uh, to another team uh, over there at front row for that other seat, uh, I, I would expect uh, him to probably stay with Rick Ware is where I would see that kind of landing. Um, I think they're happy with him and and what he's been able to do and, and kind of helping to build that program uh, under 
some solid foundation in the cup series, right? I mean, you got to remember, this is a team that struggled in the Xfinity series and just said, we're going cup racing, right? We're going to charter. We're going cup racing. And everybody laughed them out of the building. So this is, and they stunk. They really stunk. They stunk repeatedly for several years. And at times this year and last year, you've been able to see flashes of performance out of the car and especially when it comes to at the racetrack, the way the team looks, sponsors on the team, what they do outside of the racetrack from an activation standpoint, they are doing all the things they need to do to stay in business in the Cup Series. I get the finishes aren't there. I, I get it. That's not their goal. Their goal isn't go try to win the race. Yeah. And for everybody that wants to sit there and yell and go, well, that ought to be everybody's goal and everything, that's fine. That's not what they're trying to do with their program. They're trying to be an affordable option for sponsors and drivers with sponsors to get to race in this, in the NASCAR cup series, right? You want to be a cup series sponsor, but you don't want to be a cup series sponsor at Hendrick because you can't afford it. Okay. Well, what are the alternatives? Well, Rick, where is one of those? Now I would like to see them step their performance up in this next year, right? What, what is going to stop you from doing it in this next year? It's you got old equipment. You had old stuff. Okay. Well, we're clearing the decks. We're saying the car is the same. Power plant's going to be different. So I think these teams, if they pick their spots, there are going to be opportunities for the Rick Ware Racings, for the Spire Motorsports, for the Live Fast Motorsports to go up there and get better finishes than they ever have. And, and really, when I look at Spire Motorsports and what they were able to do kind of down the stretch of the year, they showed some speed especially in Corey LaJoy's car. I thought he did a really good job. That is a little bit of momentum, a little uptick here. <laughs> Even though it was at the back of the pack, it's a little bit of an uptick going into a new era of a car that we're hoping provides a driver like Corey a better opportunity to kind of show what he's got. Yeah, and they'll have their first opportunity to make their way into a race at the bush, the bush light clash at the Coliseum. And, you know, I, I do, I do appreciate kind of taking a breather from 2021 because we're already like two days later after the season, we're uh, going crazy about the bush bush clash today, promoting it, which is good. Uh, But I was like, geez, well, 2022 already let's, let's, let's take a little breather. Um, But they did announce the whole format for it Uh, today. It'll be, they'll have four heats, uh, with an 150 lap main event, it'll basically be they'll cap it at 40 entrants for the event with 23 cars qualifying for the main event. The only car locked in right now is Kyle Larson, the defending champion. Um, so the on track action will start at five o'clock p.m. Eastern on Fox Four twenty-five lap heats consisting of 10 cars each. And the top four fastest qualifiers will be the pole for each heat because uh, they'll have single car qualifying. So that will determine the lineup for each of the heats. And 23 will qualify for the event. I think they'll have an LCQ as well um, because the top four from each heat, 16 total will advance. And then there'll be an LCQ, I believe, as well. And then the main event will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1 in this Coliseum that I believe they're going to start building in late December, I think it was. I think it was December 20th, I think, the date I saw. Can't remember. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we'll be interesting. I know uh, we've been, they've been promoting it like crazy, even before the season ended um, towards like the middle of the playoffs. Um, so it's going to be 
fun. It's going to be a change. We're going to be racing inside of a Coliseum on a real short track about the size of Bowman Gray. They did the test uh, at Bowman Gray a few weeks ago with Stuart, uh, Earnhardt, and Boyer. So it is open to everybody. It's going to be a clash like no other. Open to 40 entrants. Anybody can come. Who will be willing to go to this event? Because that was a question I saw today is, I mean, it's open to anybody. You know, usually you'd have your clash qualifiers, uh, but this is open to anybody. Who's going to make the trip uh, to California to go and attempt to compete in this clash? Because only 23 are making it. They say, oh, we're going to have 40. Are 40 going to show up? That's my question. Uh, I can guarantee that 36 of them are going to show up. Yep. I mean, that's not in the charter agreement that I know of, but I can tell you this much. NASCAR, they still hold any power in the world, yep. are going to make the 36 cars that own a charter <laughs> drive out there to L.A. That is 100% mandatory attendance policy for those 36 cars that are going out there. Now, as far as the format is concerned, I like this format. This, to me, is a good format. For an all-star event, heat races, and an LCQ. This yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. I like it. Short track Simple, race. Easy, short track race. And also, you're dealing with a basic quarter-mile racetrack. We don't need to have 30 cars out here on a quarter-mile racetrack. In fact, I don't even think 20. I think 23 is too many there for the final. I think we probably needed 20 tops out there uh, for the final because you risk with this in a short track race where it's going to be really hard to pass the idea of just a lot of cautions, yeah. a lot of caution laps, a lot of spin outs, a lot of single car incidents where somebody gets spun has to kind of get turned around. And as much as we want to hype this up, when we watch the heat races at Eldora and we watch that stuff, very often the hype doesn't match what actually winds up happening on the racetrack, right? It's yeah. single car incidents, People spin out. We got to re-rack them. It's a lot of caution laps, a lot of dead time. Now, we're dealing with the best drivers in the world here. The best stock car drivers in the world. Yeah, you're throwing them in a weird situation. I would expect it to be better than hot laps at Eldora. Okay? I, I get what we're saying here. But when you start really congesting the track with too many cars, that leads to Big moves, desperation, more spinouts, more wrecks. Now, they might say they want that, right? Of course they do, right? They want more action. Heck. But I think there's a limit to that. I, I would have liked a format where it's just we're taking four from each one of the heats, 10 apiece. We're going to do, at that point now, you got, if there's 40 people, you would have 24 left. We're going to do two 12-car LCQs, and we're taking two from each one, and we got 20 at the, in, the, in the main group. Three cars, yeah, it doesn't sound like a big difference. But it can be a big difference. I mean, there's three more cars that can be involved in an incident at any given time, right? So that's what I look at with dirt racing as a whole for NASCAR, lowering the field, starting field size when we get to the features of these races. And also, when we're at a specialty event like this, kind of doing the same thing. But look, this is happening. I can sit here and yell and cuss it and call it stupid they talked about building a safer barrier around in there which to me is hilarious i mean it it's also great i you know for safety i'm pro safety but we're talking about installing a safer barrier at a track it's a quarter mile they might be doing 90 miles an hour maybe <laughs> they might it's a flat 
quarter mile racetrack. It's a parking lot that they're basically going to be racing on. Um, I just don't know that a safer barrier was needed. And also, I think immediately, just because it's me, everybody, I think of the cost of this. People say it's basically $500 a foot in safer barrier cost. And so now you're doing this around a quarter mile racetrack, right? So you guys can do the math on that. And I just start adding all of this up and it makes me just clench my teeth because I see how much money is being spent on this. I think it is being done with the idea that, hey, we can now have this event anywhere we want to have it. At any football stadium, any open arena stadium, we can basically become like uh, a version of Robbie Gordon's uh, Super Truck Series yeah. where we can throw down our little quarter mile track on your field and we can bring a Cup Series race here, right? It's basically a portable version of a track. Yeah. To me, seems like maybe the, the big brain idea in the whole thing, right? Whether that's a hit or not, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. We're just going to have to watch it and see. Of course, everybody's going to watch it. What I have fought against is the idea of its necessity in the first place. Because when I looked at Jeff Gluck's poll, one of the top 10 rated events of the year was the clash on the roof course in Daytona. <laughs> and so I go, hey, we already made a good format change for the clash that people responded well to. And I have said on this podcast, make it the NASCAR clash where it's a multi-class event. And now that adds even more intrigue to it. But yet we're going to make all the teams go all the way out to LA. We're going to literally build a racetrack inside a Coliseum. And we're all sitting here crossing our fingers and promoting it the day after the championship to try to build up the hype for it because we need it to be so successful. And I personally am just confused. I'm just a little confused. Kyle Larson won the championship two days ago. Now he's in LA promoting another race. (laughs) It just seems crazy to me. Uh, I'm not wishing ill will on it. I'm really not. I hope it's great. I hope it's extremely successful. It's definitely something I would have never thought to do. I guess, is that a compliment? (laughs) I don't know if I mean it as a compliment or not. It's so outside the box that it, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. And the more that I find out about it, the more that I am just confused about the whole thing and the way this is all going down. And I wish it, nothing but the best but like you said at the top there rj it's like can we just can we take a breath we just had the (laughs) season just ended yesterday can we take a breath but to me it speaks more of the importance to nascar and our broadcast partners that this be successful they are clearly investing a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort into this and they want it to be a big event so i hope it is a big event if they wind up with egg on their face, well, I guess I get to say I told you so, but I don't think they're going to care. I, I think this is something that they are just planning on making an event, maybe not just in L.A., but potentially other places as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when I look at the format, you know, obviously this is a wild event. We're going to L.A. We're putting a track in the Coliseum. It's weird. It's going to be two weeks before the season starts instead of the week of or one week before. 
Um, but I'm, I'm glad, you know, back to the heats, I'm glad the heats actually mean something. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, the field could probably get shut, cut down a little shorter, but you know, when we were talking about Knoxville for the trucks. I mean, we had four heats, four or five heats going on there. We didn't even, I don't even think we like had any DNQs. We didn't even cut anybody from the field and we started 40 trucks or 36 trucks. I mean, still way more than we should have. Um, and the track just can't take that the racing can't take it and it just wasn't like i was a big advocate for the ideal you know if we're talking about oh you know we need to get these trucks to you know more tv time give everybody a chance well yeah let's just make the heats a little bit longer make the heats longer and but cut the field you know it's a dirt race we gotta you know advocate for what we are racing because we can't we can't hop on dirt and make this a straight nascar race we could but we saw what happened you know, we're going to hop on dirt. We're going to make it what it is. We're not going to go to, you know, um, you know, the Coliseum track, the size of Bowman gray and race it. Like we're racing at Talladega. Like, obviously you can see, we have a yeah. format for that. And whether it's obviously for the number one, for the size of the track and number two, cause it's the clash. So we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, yeah, but you know, events like that Knoxville definitely could have benefited from a shorter field could have knocked the field down to at least like 25 or something uh, and just 20, make the heats longer. 20, I think 20 yeah. is probably the number, right? I mean, yeah. look at, here's how you can know, look at how many dirt or like sprint cars they pack at any given the Charlotte dirt track, uh, wherever we're going to go. Right. So Remember that a sprint car is like half the size of yeah. a stock car. Just keep that in mind. And a lot easier to control on dirt than a stock car, right? The stock car doesn't want to do anything you want it to do. The dirt car is built to do that. So keep that in mind in these formats. And like immediately to all my team friends that listen to the podcast, I go, oh, well, that's, you can't knock the field out. How am I going to get paid? This, this is easy. This is easy how you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid based off how you finish in the LCQ. That's it. It's real simple. Two LCQs, take the purse money for the back 16 trucks or cars or whatever it is, and just say, okay, rather than getting paid based on finishing position here, you're going to get paid based on your finishing position in an LCQ. Two cars are going to get the same pay. The next two get the same pay. The next two get the same and back through the back of the field, right? So that's it. So that way everybody is still racing for money for a spot in the LCQ, even if they're not in the transfer spot, they're all still racing for a finish and you can award points based on that as well, where they go, okay, because this is a dirt race, we technically like in a 40 car field, let's say we're going to start 24 for the, for the main race. Easy. Now for the other 16 spots, we're really going to pay points based on where they finished in the LCQ, right? So it's like, it'd be easy. The cars that finished third in the LCQ or fifth or whatever it is, they're going to get 25th place points and so on and so forth back to the end. And that's it. And you go, well, yeah, but then nobody gets last place points. Guess what? Who gives a crap? Nobody cares about the points. None of this matters. This is all made up. <laughs> the point system changed every year for like 15 straight years. Yeah. Who cares? So it's just one race or a couple of races where the points are going to be awarded differently and the money is going to be awarded a little differently. But inside the top 24, that will be awarded a certain amount. And there should be 
extra points to divide the people that qualified for the main event versus the people that didn't. There needs to be, it's not just one point difference. It needs to be like a five point gap or, or something to that effect to separate. You didn't, you didn't really qualify, but you, you finished better than these other people that didn't qualify as well. So that to me is a really simple format change that would yeah. simplify a lot of this. And also to your point, potentially clean up the track a little bit when we go to a Bristol dirt, where we don't have 40 cars firing off. That's an additional 16 cars packing in the racetrack and changing the conditions, turning it into a dust bowl. So I think limiting car count, really good idea at these dirt tracks. I like this idea of the format for the, uh, uh, the clash out there at the Coliseum. I think it's a good format. We talked about the TV time that it is able to give to other drivers, potentially them running well, random draw. I am pro random draw on all of these. Just let it be a complete wild card. And I think the best people are still going to wind up finding their way into the main. Yeah. Lots of new things for next year. New car. We got a clash and it's going to start. That's the first thing we're doing and they're already promoting it. So it's going to be off season of, yeah, we got silly season, but it seems like uh, every other waking day we will be uh, thinking about, they, they want us thinking about uh, the bush light clash at the Coliseum. So <laughs> Every day, you just got to remind yourself that that is happening uh, in February, I think. Yes. Is it February 9th? Is that the date? I'm it is happening to be remembering. in February. Yes. Uh, that is for sure. I'm sure we'll remember it in the next few days because they're going to make sure that we remember it, that the Bush Light Clash 100%. is happening at the Coliseum. Just remember. It, and it's in February. And it's two weeks before the Daytona 500. So I'll remember. Uh, oh, yeah. For better or worse. <laughs> every day so 21 21 seasons over lots of good memories they they uh they fox showed it as the best season ever and now it's concluded uh all across the board from cup xfinity trucks arca arca west arca east whatever you want to say it's all it's all done we got some races that'll happen during the off season we got the snowball derby uh that we always look forward to uh always a great show always a great uh place five flags speedway up in pensacola um, so that'll be cool. And then other than that, it's the off season, just silly season news coming out, some announcements, uh, the, the merry off season as chase Elliott said, and, and we'll see what happens. A lot of, uh, a lot of cool things. I know there's a lot of things that are already set really for the cup series. I mean, we really only talked about the only mystery is really going to be the 38 car and probably Rick Ware. What do they do? And, Everything else is is open teams. Even the Xfinity series is pretty set up for next year. And it's, I mean, it's only going to get more stacked and loaded as, as the off season goes on. And then the truck series is always just a mystery. We'll figure that out in a few months. About a few weeks <laughs> you figure that out when you get down to Daytona for the first race. Who's, who's exactly. There's a few you can play it on. Uh, but yeah, it seems like all that news is uh, going to start trickling out here in the next few weeks. I think most of the big announcements have already happened. Um, all the, the main uh, players kind of returning uh, to most of their teams and uh, really the Xfinity series, obviously with Alpha Prime Racing and the kind of the venture that we're going into there, seeing how that series is going to stack up. To me, um, I feel like the racing that we put on uh, all year with our series and, and our, uh, our cars, I am a little biased. I think it's the best in the top three series. Uh, I hear a lot of other people say the same. Uh, if you thought it was good this year, just wait till next year yeah. uh, when, when the next gen car uh, is, is a whole other animal. The thing that generally happens with new cars, somebody figures it out first. 
and then they just kill everybody. <laughs> it's yeah. what just that's generally what happens with these new cars. Um, I hope the playing field is leveled up there in the Cup Series. I hope we see more surprises than we've ever seen. Uh, but I think the Xfinity Series, week in and week out, always delivered <laughs> with surprises and and great racing um, everywhere that we went. So uh, now that we know our schedule, we know we're going to Portland. We know we're going back to California. Um, we kind of know how all this is shaping up. We're going to wait and see here over the next month, see any additional announcements from teams, uh, drivers. Like just today, uh, I know we're wrapping up here, but just today, Jeffrey Earnhardt announced he's leaving JD Motorsports and and, and is really looking for a, a race-winning ride. And like, God bless him. I wish the best for Jeffrey. I hope he can find one. I don't know where it's at because I think all of those rides are kind of drying up right now. Um, So I wish him the best. I I hope he does find a a great home. Um, He's a guy that I've always seen as kind of an untapped potential for our sport, uh, both from a a marketing side and from a driving side. Um, I'd like to see him wind up in a good spot, but I just get the sense that these opportunities are getting smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer. And you're going to see some drivers that are kind of standing around come January 15th uh, without a home. And (laughs) just right now, it it is a much bigger demand for the seats than there are for the drivers. And that has kind of been the case over the last few years. Uh, But now we're just seeing that even more and more with the charters and the cup series, guys like Anthony Alfredo uh, kind of left without a place to go. So, the whole dynamic to me is really interesting and it's going to be, even though we probably are not going to be involved in a lot of these free agent talks at alpha prime racing, it's going to be interesting to me to see where the field is shaping up, who aligns with who I think you're going to have some pretty strange bedfellows over the next couple of months, because I don't think guys are going to have places to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And it seems like every year these deals start to get set up earlier and earlier to the point where we get to the off season where usually you'd be like, all right, it's the off season now. Let me go find my ride. Well, they all got filled up in the past three months. Uh, So, you know, it it seems earlier and earlier, and especially with the next gen car, you know, teams wanted to know what they were doing uh, next year, I'm sure. And that just drove all of this to be all these talks to begin earlier, middle of the season. Um, So, it's just, it starts earlier and earlier. And now there's people that are just either, you know, learning now that they won't be back with the team. I'm sure Anthony Alfredo had an idea uh, that he might not be back with the organization, but now left in a spot uh, where he will have to find himself a ride. Matt Benedetto, same situation. I mean, he's known that he's, you know, been having a search for a ride. Ryan Newman has known that he's been having a search for a ride. Uh, so it's going to be really tough because they're, so many talented drivers in the sport, but only so many places to go that logistically line up as well. Not just where you want to go, but logistically for the team and for the driver, uh, what are drivers going to accept? You know, if, if JD Motorsports calls Matt DiBenedetto, is he going to say yes, you know, or, is it, you know, if that's your only option, you might have to take it. I think there is still an, an image here and let's let's end on this here because this is if there is a thought that i have about all this yeah there is still an image of drivers that is basically like i can't possibly go on a mid-level or back of the pack team that is going to therefore make me look bad right okay if there is one thing that tommy joe martins would like to change about nascar 
It's that stupid impression of what people think of drivers versus what they really are dealing with in their situation, right? Everybody knows Landon Castle is a good driver. Nobody is denying this. He's on a smaller team. He drives for JD Motorsports. We've seen him do more with more. Nobody's questioning this. Matt Benedetto drove for smaller teams. He drove for BK Racing. He drove for the 32 car and go fast. He then got an opportunity on another small team, Levine Family Racing. Did better. He got an opportunity at the Wood Brothers. Did well. I think he finished uh, 15th in the points this year in the overall season point standings. It's like, okay, clearly the guy can drive. His situation doesn't define him as a driver. So if there's one thing I would like to see is guys like Anthony Alfredo, who potentially has the funding, don't turn a blind eye to the middle of the field or the back of the field. Like if what you need to do is get more laps in a race car, that's it. You're going to learn the craft being in a race car. It doesn't matter if it's a car at the back of the field, at the front of the field. One thing that you can do as a race car driver is help your team, whether it's the front or at the back, help them get better. You help them get better with sponsorship and with experience. That's it. And so you're able to develop that being in a ride. So it really irks me when I see these guys leave teams or they go, ah, I'm not going to get with that team. It's like, dude, so what are you going to do? You're going to sit at home. You're not getting any better sitting on your couch. And nobody's thinking about you any better with you sitting on your couch. It's really easy to explain to your sponsors and all the people that support you going into a year. Hey, look, guys, I'm driving for a small team. Top 30s this year is our goal. When we go knock down top 30s, I'm going to be excited. The team's going to be excited. We're going to help try to grow. And if I get a better opportunity next year, then I'm going to take it, right? Because I'm competitive and I want to go try to win races. But in the meantime, my goal is to make whatever car I get in as good as it can possibly be. And what else are we talking about? And, and this is a really a dividing moment that we have in our sport right now, which is like, is it better off to be thought of as a good driver in a slow car or a slow driver in a good car? Yeah. Because we could point to some examples of the slow driver in a good car. And to me, that is irreversibly more damaging to your reputation than being a driver that is already in a 30th place car. At that point, it's all gravy, baby. Anything we do better than that is like, I'm kicking ass. Everybody thinks I'm kicking ass. Ross Chastain, when he was up in the top 15 with JD Motorsports and flirting with the playoffs, what was the impression of him? Man, this guy is kicking ass. And it's like, yeah, he was able to bring a little bit of sponsorship to the team. They really focused their efforts behind him because they said, this is our best guy. And they rolled out a pretty competitive car and he went out and ran pretty competitive and wound up making a career for himself. So that's my advice to everyone in this situation. I don't care if you're a driver just coming into the sport. I don't care if you're a driver that's sitting there as a free agent. When the phone rings and somebody's offering you a ride and either you have the sponsorship or they have it, the idea that you would then go, Eh, not really a good fit for me. I'll just wait for a better opportunity. There's only so many opportunities. 
The only reason I'm getting to sit here and do a podcast with you right now, RJ, is because BJ McLeod offered me a 37th place car when I jumped in that car in 2017. 27th place. That's where we were in the standings. When I left, we were 26th. And people go, uh, that's not that exciting. It's like, shit, that's 11 cars that we all of a sudden were better than when I left. If, if you looked at that and said, we made, we basically made a 25% improvement over the course of time that I was there, that's pretty good. So I look at that for those veterans like Benedetto, who I know feels like I've already been down this journey. I've already driven on small teams. I've already done starting parks. I've already done that. That's bad for me now. I'm not willing to do that anymore. Well, then you're probably going to sit at home because the way to show that you can still get it done, a la Kurt Busch, is to get in a car that everybody goes, you know what? It's an okay car. It's a mid-pack car. And drive it up there to the front and make it undeniable that you deserve to still be racing at the top level. That's what it takes because you're not going to get that A-list car again. It's probably not coming. You got to earn it again. And I know that sucks. Guess what? Fighters, when they get a title fight and they get knocked out and they lose to the champion, they don't just get to fight the champion again the next fight. They got to earn the right to fight him again. And that's where Matt DiBenedetto is at. That to me is where I see Ryan Newman at. That's where I see a lot of these guys at, like Anthony Alfredo. It's like, yeah, right now, for whatever reason, you're out and you got to earn it back. And the way you earn it back is respect and just undeniable talent showing through driving a car that might not be the best car and driving it up there to the front of the field. So that's what I would like to see all those guys do. And I would like to see our sport, our industry, our media people pay more attention to it when guys are doing it like Jeremy Clements ought to get more credit and it feels like he doesn't get talked about enough. Brandon Brown feels like he doesn't get talked about enough for what they are doing for where they are racing in the points. Ryan Sieg, same thing in my series. And I look down in trucks as well. Like Grant Enfinger didn't get enough credit for what he did. And Cody Warboss truck yeah. at times this year, it's like, Okay, here's a truck that normally is 25th, and he's driving it into the top 10. So these type of things should be emphasized more, which would then lead to more drivers taking those opportunities. If you believe in yourself, we have heard so many athletes say this in the last few years, bet on yourself. I don't want that contract. That contract's not good enough for me. I'll take a one-year contract, and I'll prove to you that I'm worth more money than the one you just offered. Yeah. And they go kick ass and then they get the offer that they want either in free agency or with the same team. I would tell these guys and girls, whoever it is, that's a free agent going into NASCAR, looking around, shopping around. Don't be afraid of smaller teams. If you believe in yourself, trust me, it is really easy to explain when you have a problem with a car. That's really easy to explain. What's not easy to explain is when there's a problem with you driving the car, that's when it doesn't look very good. And I challenge those guys to be open to just more opportunities as a whole. Yeah. I, I always look at the dynamic of like last year's, you know, the first thing I think of is like last year's Richmond race, the Xfinity series, you know, where you started on pole for the invert and you got Matt Mills, who I think finished 13th in the first race. Right. And he's going less. So like Matt Mills is going by chase Briscoe. I think it was. And Matt Mills is sitting there in the car, like, Oh my God, we're passing chase Briscoe. We just got the 13th. Meanwhile, chase Briscoe's thinking, 
what the hell are we doing? Like, this yeah, is terrible. We, day. <laughs> yeah. we are awful. Yeah. But that's just the dynamic. And that happens in Formula One very often. Yeah. And it's brought up, hey, George Russell in the top 10 with the Williams. That's the, we all know Williams and Haas. Those are the two worst teams. And, and, and not to say worst, but we know that those are the, the smallest, yeah. really the lowest expectation teams right now in the sport. Okay, well, when they have a great day, the announcers spend a lot of time going, wow, look at this. And what comes from that? George uh, Russell is going to get an opportunity to drive for McLaren next year, right? Because now Valtteri Bottas at McLaren is like, ah, yeah, he's doing good, but could we do better? And as soon as that creeps in, now that person that is overachieving on a lower team looks really desirable. And that's how this happens in motorsports. And it feels like it doesn't happen as much in NASCAR. We think about that story with Kurt Busch. We think about that story with uh, Matt Benedetto, with Ross Chastain. So it's happened. And it blows me away that it feels like drivers shy away from that when really that is the path. Kick ass in a mid-tier ride and just wait for your phone to ring because it will ring either from sponsors, owners, somebody. When you make it undeniable how much better you're doing than the car you're sitting in, a la Ross Chastain when he drove for Nice Motorsports down there in the truck series, when, when you are just head and shoulders above everybody else, it makes it to where you just cannot help but give them a better opportunity. And that's what all those guys were able to do. Now, yeah, Matt is going to have to kind of do it again if he wants to get back to a race-winning Cup Series car. But think about the opportunity that we're talking about. Maybe the playing field gets leveled in Cup a little bit. Maybe those other opportunities at the back of the field uh, become better. Maybe Rick Ware, which really was a a D-level team, let's say they become a C-level or a B even with this new car. Well, now does a guy like Matt Benedetto go and crush it in a lower series like mine, or does he take one of those teams in the cup series and maybe elevate them? Like that story can happen again. And I would like to see it happen again. I'd like to see it get promoted a little bit more and it would probably lead to a little more parody going on throughout the field and more driver movement, which, I think everybody has a lot of fun with. Like if you think about the NBA and and all of the talk in the summer about players moving around, whereas like in NASCAR, we just don't have that quite as much. Like the silly season thing is really dictated by sponsorship. And and look, I'm not trying to act like it wouldn't ever still be, but how much fun would that be if you knew that your driver would always have a place to go kind of in the midfield because that was a spot where their talent could maybe rise above the car that they're sitting in. Yeah, exactly. And I say, you know, to close out with this, I say, screw the cup series. I say, we just load the Xfinity series with all these free agents, right? Like our, our motorsports, Hey, you guys got an open car. Let's put Anthony Alfredo over there. Uh, Mario Goslin, y'all got an open car. Let's put, let's put Matt Benedetto at DGM or uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, we know some Sam Hunt's expanding. Uh, Ryan Sieg's got a second car. You know, let's just let's come just on, come on in, guys. We'll run a second car at Alpha Prime Racing. We'll do yeah. it. We'll yeah, exactly. Out. I know. I know. Owner Tommy Joe wouldn't be like too. No, uh, I probably wouldn't be a big fan of that. But Caesar Baccarella might be. So we, he might listen to the pitch. Oh, you know. So Caesar's I do think you're going to see some of that, though, RJ. As 
manufacturer alliances kind of become the key to getting these rides, right? Like yeah. being lined up with a manufacturer that is going to kind of provide the pipeline to you to go to the cup series. Um, being associated with an Xfinity series team that has an affiliate in the cup series. Those are the decisions that kind of get made. I look at Matt and potentially what's going on with colleague. Is that a place that maybe he winds up for a couple of races because he's trying to maybe get in that pipeline in a certain way. And that's completely conjecture by me, but, but I think that some of these decisions for those guys really are now dictated by the manufacturer and yeah. what is my path to, to kind of ascending up there to the next level if I'm doing my job. Yeah. Does Ryan Priest go to Ford KHI, you know, Kevin Harvick incorporate, we know, you know, his relations with them obviously went and won a truck race for DGR. I think that would be a good step for him. Someone we haven't really talked about the show. Ryan Priest is going to be one of those drivers. Yeah. And, and should, should have been mentioned. Yeah. It should have been yeah. mentioned in that same vein as them, but I, I think it's another guy that has proven he can overachieve in a car when given the opportunity. Yeah. We'll find out all that will unfold probably in the next few months. So for right now, everybody uh, enjoy, enjoy the off season. Uh, you'll get a lot of notifications about the Bush Lake clash, but make sure to just enjoy the off season. We got the clash coming up uh, in a few months. So it'll, it'll come before we know it. This season flew by uh, way, way too fast. So I'm sure next season will be right on the horizon. It's right there ahead. So, uh, but we'll enjoy the off season. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some fun things going on. I know we'll have our, uh, my annual like Daytona charity shootout We're trying to run uh, at the beginning of December, December 4th. I think it's like a sad Saturday night. That's the goal right now. We're floating around. Uh, we'll see if uh, who, who's going to join us for that event. I know uh, we're going to, I'm going to be in the booth. We'll have Davey with us. Uh, we'll see what maybe your role can be. I don't know how close you are to your iRacing sim. Uh, <laughs> Pretty close. I got a feeling I might be in the commentary box on that one, RJ. I think. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of ideas. I don't know if we're just we can have you as commentator. We can have you as a uh, Clint Boyer driver analyst sitting there yelling at people as you're driving. <laughs> Could be could make for some good TV. Might be a pretty good role for me. You know, it's it's better uh, most of the time that you know I got to reach over and key the button up uh, during races before I say yeah. things on the radio. Uh, that might make it a little too easy going yeah. on racing, and I could talk like that. But I, I, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, always a lot of fun doing the podcast here, looking through at kind of the the breadth of the season, the pitch there, best season ever in the Cup Series. As far as I'm concerned, it was a wacky season. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It felt like we definitely always had something to talk about, whether that was good or bad, yeah. um, but really capped off by uh, just a dominating, uh, really not a dominating performance in the race per se by Kyle Larson, uh, but definitely a dominating season by Kyle Larson overall. And, and definitely the deserving champion uh, of the top three series in our sport. Yep. Ben Rhodes, truck champion, Daniel Amex, Xfinity champion, and Kyle Larson wins the Cup Series championship. Well-deserved all across the board. So we will see who'll start off next year. Uh, the brightest for, for right now, everybody enjoy the off season. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to Believe Podcasting Network. Thank you to Bet Online, and we will see you all soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.